Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada promises more help for Ukraine while continuing to avoid direct conflict with Russia. This is a conflict where we cannot fail. We must win, Ukraine must prevail, and we have to be prepared to be there with Ukraine and to provide all the support that we can. At the same time, we need to be very, very thoughtful around escalation. Jean Charest confirms he will run for the leadership of the Conservative Party. He left politics a, a decade ago, and since then, the, the anger machine of social media has cranked up, and the attributes that he brings, you know, civility, experience, command of the facts, uh, which used to be assets, are now liabilities. And Ontario prepares to lift many COVID restrictions. We're going to move forward cautiously, and if someone wants to keep them on, uh, God bless them, you know, good, good for them. But I know a lot of people uh, don't want to uh, keep them on. And uh, again, we, we aren't leading the, the way in this. We're kind of middle of the pack. I know down, down in the U.S. with CDC, their recommendations about getting rid of the masks. But it's going to be up to the, uh, the people of Ontario. If you want to keep your mask on, keep it on. Um, if you want to take it off, take it off. It's Thursday, March the 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Let's start with the latest on what's happening in Ukraine and Canada's response to it. The Prime Minister continues his travels in Europe. He's in Germany right now. He's meeting with other world leaders. Uh, he referred to the war crimes of Vladimir Putin yesterday. Um, what what do you see as as Canada's mission right now, and uh, what is the effect of all the work that the international community is doing? Well, Canada's I think been pretty sure-footed in its response. It's been uh, the, there have been no cracks appearing in the alliance. Uh, I think that that's what the message is to Putin that there is a, a united front against him. I mean, Canada's role is. Somewhat marginal. I mean, our ability to send um, a lot of material and uh, manpower is is limited given the, the size of our military. But I think that um, that Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland and Melanie Jolie have been pretty consistent in their messaging, and we've been very supportive. I think of uh, of the Zelensky regime without provoking. Uh, Putin, and I think it's it's pretty easy to provoke him. I mean, it seems that this idea that uh, Poland was going to donate MiG airplanes to uh, MiG jets to the Ukrainians via the U.S. has now been nixed by the U.S. because somehow somebody is talking it through back channels, and this was seen to be an an escalatory move by the Russians, and so it's not happening. And I think that's a very delicate tightrope which Western leaders have got to. Have got to uh, to navigate because um, you know Putin is in charge of a country with you know 2,400 nuclear warheads, and it looks like he's not afraid to use them. I mean, this is the reality we're in. And what what do you think is at stake here? Uh, many people have put it in in very uh, stark terms, including Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. Um, that this is a, a major turning point in world history, potentially. Um, so uh, I know there there have been questions asked about 
what what Canada's role is and and whether the prime minister should be doing this from from Ottawa or be doing it in Europe. Uh, but uh, there there is a lot at stake here, obviously, and and uh, this might I think this clearly to most people is the most important issue in the world right now. Of course, I mean the idea that. Um the leader of the Canadian leader should not be in Europe talking to the, the German Chancellor and other European leaders, the head of NATO, um, is is ludicrous. Now, I mean, I think parading in front of the Brandenburg Gate and taking pictures that look like they were going to be on the, the cover of the next election platform were unnecessary. I mean, those were released last night on Twitter, and I, I, it kind of grated with me. I thought, you know, this is a serious business. Um, forget, the, forget the politics. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, anybody who... who um, who underestimates the importance of this is not paying attention. I mean, this is a uh, it's a stark a contrast between good and evil, black and white, as you're ever going to get in politics. And I always argue that politics is about nuance and it's various shades of grey. Well, not on this occasion. This is this is uh, a line in the sand for Western democracies, for the for the rule of law, for the international system that's kept the peace for the last seventy five years. I mean, you can you can argue whether NATO should have pushed into the 14 countries that were vacated by the former Soviet Union. Should the Baltic nations uh, have been offered NATO membership in the early 90s? Uh, it's pretty clear that going to Ukraine and Georgia was, was a step too far in 2008, and, and those countries did not take up NATO membership. But none of that excuses what has happened in the last two weeks. I mean, a blatant, naked aggression. And, um, you know, the, the Western alliance has held pretty strong. We've seen an overwhelming rejection of Putin's worldview at the United Nations. And I think it gives pop for thought to for, for the Chinese, who are clearly eyeing up an invasion of, of Taiwan in similar fashion. Yeah. All right, let's turn to some issues closer to home, John. And um, the conservative leadership race is heating up, obviously. Uh, we're expecting an announcement today from Jean Charest, the former premier of Quebec, former federal progressive conservative leader uh, in the in the pre-merger uh, political landscape in Canada. Um, and uh, what, do, what do you think that's going to do to the race? What are you expecting from Jean Charest? Well, he, he gave an interview to Post Media today, and he talks about, uh, it was a lot of talk about winning and that, that he is the, uh, I will make this party win. And not only will it win, but it, I will deliver a major national government with representation in every part of the country, he said. That is, I mean, I think in a general election, he's got uh, bags of experience, and he's a, a, an excellent campaigner. Um, I think he would have a reasonable chance of winning a general election, but I don't think his chances of winning the conservatorship are that great. And part of that is to do with the nature of politics since he left it a decade ago. I mean, he left, he was defeated as Quebec Premier in 2012, after having won three times, by the way. But he left politics a, a decade ago, and since then, the, the anger machine of social media has cranked up, and the attributes that he brings, you know, civility, experience, command of the facts, uh, which used to be assets, are now liabilities. And his chief rival in the leadership for the Conservative Party, Pierre Poilievre, has mastered that political lexicon and that reflects that kind of angry and volatile public mood. And Charest looks like he's, he's kind of yesterday's breakfast compared to Poilievre, who's out 
He's already getting his retaliation in first by saying that Charest wants to put up the carbon tax. And the people who are going to vote in this election for the Conservative leader are those angry, anxious Conservatives. They're the membership, the, the base of the Conservative Party. That's the membership. And they are with Poiliev. We've seen this in polls by Abacus. We've seen this in polls by Leger. Poiliev has got a prohibitive lead, and I just don't see a route for Charest to win. The only route, or just to add a caveat to that, there is a story in the Star today that says that Charest and his old uh, protege, Patrick Brown, might be able to do some kind of some kind of deal. But but it seems hard to me that uh, even if all of Brown's supporters, if he, if he enters the race and uh, you know comes low on the ballot on this right ballot system that they have, and all of his support transfers to Charest, I still can't imagine that that's enough to swamp Polyev's support. Hmm. All right, we'll watch uh, and see what happens today on that. Um, finally, John, um, the Ontario government uh, is lifting further restrictions. Uh, kids in schools are not going to have to wear masks anymore when they return from March break later this month, um, and uh, people in other places won't have to wear masks. And uh, people are uh, many people in this province are seeing it as signs that that we're emerging at last. Two years later, um, it'll be I guess two years on on Sunday since a global pandemic was declared uh, that we are starting to emerge from, uh, if not the latest wave, perhaps even uh, COVID itself. Well, it's a sign that there's a provincial election in the offing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and there's that too. No party wants, no party wants to go into, uh, or no government wants to go into an election uh, with these kind of restrictions in place. So, yeah, I guess it is. It does coincide with with um, with an easing of of the virus. Is it too early? Um, I guess we'll see. I mean, there's nothing to stop the government. I guess reimposing restrictions, although I'm sure it will be loath to do so. But if, if infection rates rise, then it's going to have to do so. So it's a bit of a gamble. I do hope that um, that the, the, the side that has called for the lifting of restrictions and the uh, personal decisions about health to be made by the individual, um, I do hope that now that they have essentially won, that they will be magnanimous in victory and that we don't see people being abused for continuing to wear masks. I mean, I think that this is a personal choice and that people will still want to wear them in crowded places. And that decision has to be respected. I think that uh, if, it, if it is not, then these deep divisions in our society are going to continue long after the virus is gone. All right. John, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives today. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We are going to continue to stand with Ukraine as long as it takes. The sanctions that we've put in on Russia uh, will be able to stay in place as long as necessary. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Paul Heinbecker argues NATO has cards to play against Russia. Heinbecker writes, Because NATO decisions are made by consensus, Vladimir Putin can be confident that NATO's 30 members will never agree unanimously to initiate a nuclear war against Russia. But he cannot be sure that NATO's nuclear powers will not retaliate in kind if he starts one. That is a powerful disincentive for Putin and the people around him to employ his nuclear forces. 
powerful enough for the democracies to face down Putin's threats aggressively and give the plucky Ukrainians real help. NATO can transfer Russian-made Polish aircraft to Ukraine, whose pilots are appropriately trained to use them. It should do so urgently. In the Toronto Star, Eric Blais argues leadership hopefuls will battle to define what the conservative brand represents. Blair writes, If the third time is indeed a charm, this third leadership race in six years will be a referendum on the party's future, one that should force a decision on what the conservative brand should stand for to succeed. Since it's often more important to be different than to be better, the more polarized the positions of the two leading candidates will be, the better. It might split the party, but it will bring much-needed clarity on what the conservative brand stands for. In the National Post, Kelly McParland argues, maybe Jean Charest could convince voters there's more to conservatives. McParland writes, In a way, Charest is taking on a similar role to the one he played when he defended federalism, seeking to convince voters there is more to conservatism than they'd likely get from the anti-mandate, kill-the-tax, hands-off-our-guns wing. Or perhaps I should say he hopes to prove there should be more to it than that. If he fails to do so and the party elects to go all in on dogma and discontent, it's not unreasonable to expect it will continue to rack up big surplus vote totals in the West while struggling to gain the seats in urban and suburban Ontario that it needs for victory. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with the President of Germany before traveling to Warsaw, Poland. Defense Minister Anita Anand will attend the 90th Ottawa Conference. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra will announce safety investments at the Niagara District Airport in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau will provide details on funding to support the post-COVID recovery of tourism facilities in British Columbia. Official Languages Minister Jeanette Pettipa-Taylor will speak about two projects in support of the bioscience sector of Prince Edward Island. And Employment Minister Carla Qualtrill will take part in a Facebook Live event to discuss the Canada Learning Bond. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March the 10th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.